Alright, so Revelation 22, it's the, it is the conclusion. I thought about if we had time, we're not going to do this, but I thought about thinking how much, talking about how much has changed since we started this. Because it's been six months. There's 22 chapters, and we had a few weeks where we didn't do it. We had one week where we canceled because of weather. Uh, there's been a couple weeks where we've had guest speakers in. So it's actually been just over six months since we started this. So, uh, how, so how many people were not even coming to church here? Daniel, were you guys coming to the church six months ago? So yes, and then Jacob too. So we've got like, you know, two of the people that are here tonight weren't even coming to church here yet when we started this. So it just it's uh, it's gone by fast. So it's gone by it's gone by really fast. So anyway, let's go ahead and finish this up. There's a few more things in here too in this chapter that we can use that is just. One more thing to debunk pre-trib, and we—I feel like we have thoroughly destroyed the pre-trib doctrine, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Through this, I've never heard—I I take that back—I've heard one pre-tribber preach a series through the entire book of Revelation, and it was Brian Sharp. And but most won't even try. Most won't even try because. They can't. There's too many things they would have to obviously skip over and avoid because uh, their their doctrine is wrong. Things just don't make sense. And it's because they are off. But anyway, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. And look, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit, Every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So, um... First off, I want to show you what we're seeing here in these first five verses. This is the new heaven and the new earth. That's where we left off last week in chapter 21. Not everything, though, that we're going to see in chapter 22 is during the new heaven and the new earth time. These first five verses, it's talking about things in the new heaven and the new earth, but then in the rest of the chapter, it's back to present time. Present, It's back to present time for John. And it's important that you understand that because some of the foolish things that people teach uh, in Revelation and just about future events is because they're not even paying attention to what they're reading. They just see Revelation 22, it's the end, it's the new heaven and the new earth. No, not necessarily. It's already told us about the new heaven and the new earth, but then it's kind of going back to present time and just giving some things, you know, just kind of some closing remarks is what we're seeing. But let me point out a few things here, though in this new heaven and the new earth. And I, I briefly mentioned this last week, but I want to mention it again. okay? Because people, they take some of these verses about the new heaven and the new earth and they read into it and they create all these situations and scenarios and possibilities for things that are to come that are just foolish and that are just false. And remember, it says in there, when it's talking about that tree of life that bear 12 manner of fruit, it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. As though, and so people say there's still going to be stuff going on during that time. There's still going to be hard times and they're still going to need healing. And so they're going to have this tree of life that bears that 12 manner of fruit. We see in chapter 21 how the kings of the earth are bringing their glory to it. 
Uh, and it, and it, I don't remember all the details of the things we mentioned last week, but it mentions stuff in there in chapter 21 about things that are going to be going on. And people read that as though these are going to be common practices that take place in the new heaven and the new earth. No, that's not what it's talking about. When it's talking about the kings bringing their glory to it and things like that, it's a reference to the fact that when the new heaven and the new earth comes after the millennial reign, all these kings are going to come to it to visit it. It's not, it's not talking about like this new routine that we've got going on. These leaves that are for the healing of the nations, all right, this is something that God is obviously going to use whenever people do come. All right, whatever uh, problems there are left over from the previous conflicts that took place in the millennium, God's going to heal those things. All right, and He'll use the tree of life to do that. I personally believe that this healing of the nations is going to be a one-time thing. Because we see in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. So there's not going to be any, there's, there's no new problems. Alright? Don't let some, you know, weirdo preacher you know, take some of these verses like that and create this whole new set of challenges in the future and a whole new way of salvation in the future. I'll show you a verse that gets used to do that. And it's just, once again, people not paying attention to what they're reading. Just pulling a verse out of a spot and then just misapplying it. So, uh, I personally believe the healing of the nations, it will take place you know when the new when the new Jerusalem comes down, when God the Father shows up, He's going to fix whatever's wrong, and from there on after that, no more trouble. It's over. No more challenges. I think the Bible. I think the Bible's real clear on that. But notice in verse four, it says, "And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads." Why is it mentioning this? All right, this is after the millennium. This is in the new heaven and the new earth. Why is it mentioning that we'll see His face? Doesn't it say in Revelation chapter 1, Behold, He comes with the clouds and every eye shall see Him? So we already saw the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole world saw it in Revelation chapter 1 at the rapture. Okay? So why is it mentioning we'll see His face? I mean, he was on Jesus is on earth for a thousand years. Why is it mentioning that we'll see His face? Why is that so significant? Well, that's significant because of the fact that this is the face of God the Father that we are finally going to be seeing. And so, um, you know, and you say, well, why not? Why, why can't we see the face of God until now? Right? Until this time. Alright? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We looked at this last week, but uh, I think, I think we need to point this out again because this is very significant. Alright? This is, this is an extremely significant passage. There is a very good reason that why we will not get to see the face of God the Father until after the millennium. But it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming. Then cometh the end when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For He, 
talking about Jesus, must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Alright? Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire in Revelation 21. That's after the millennium. Okay? For He hath put all things under His feet, but when He saith all things are put under Him, it is manifest that He is accepted, which did put all things under Him. And when all things shall be subdued unto Him, then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him that God may be all in all. Okay, Now this is important we understand. Right? Remember when Jesus, after He rose from the dead and He is about to ascend into heaven, what did He say? All power is given to Me in heaven and earth. Y'all want to know who's you know, running the show and who has full authority right now? It's Jesus Christ. In fact, it's very similar, you could say, kind of a comparison to what's going on. Um, when Joseph became second in command in Egypt, who was actually running things in Egypt during that time of plenty and then that time of famine? For those 14 years, who was really running the show in Egypt? It was Joseph, wasn't it? Okay. Now, Pharaoh, you know, he was in control, but he, did, he kind of gave everything to Joseph. He said, all right, you know what? You do it. You answer only to me, but you know, everybody else, is, they've got to listen to you. And then Pharaoh just kind of sat back and he let Joseph run the show. Okay? And so while Joseph technically wasn't the guy in command, in a sense he was. What Joseph wanted, got done. What Joseph said, it went. Why? Because all power and all authority have been given to him. Same thing goes with right now. Jesus Christ has been given all power and all authority. That's why in all things, He has the preeminence. Okay, But the Bible is very clear that once He subdues everything, once He finishes everything, once He destroys that last enemy of death, then He is going to be, uh, he's going to be subject unto Him that put all things under Him. He's going to deliver up the kingdom back to the Father and subject Himself to Him again. Okay, now how can you subject yourself, you know, to yourself? All right, it doesn't even make any sense. All right, this is this is another passage that absolutely destroys modalism right? and that proves the Trinity. Okay, if Jesus is God the Father, then why even mention this? You know, that would be like me saying, you know what, I've decided that. I don't want to be the one in charge anymore. I've decided to turn all rule and all authority over to myself. You know, it, it, why would I even say that? All right, you know, we're, we're going to have a switching of power here. You know, it, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Okay, it's just a, it's a foolish argument. But um, but yeah, and so it says when when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. That God may be all in all. Okay. Now, why? Why is why did this have to take place? Why is it that God is not going to show up on this earth until the new heaven and the new earth? All right. I'll tell you why. It's because God is God. God is so holy, He cannot be in the presence of sinful men. It would kill them. Okay. This world cannot contain. The glory of God, it cannot handle the glory of God. That's why He sent His Son Jesus, who made Himself a little lower than the angels. He humbled Himself. He took on Him the form of a servant. 
He was made in the likeness of man. And He sent Jesus Christ so He could come and He could obtain righteousness for us. Okay? Because we could not obtain righteousness. We could not defeat death. We couldn't do any of those things. So Jesus Christ Himself came to this earth and He did all of that for us. He paid for our sins. And Jesus Christ, one of these days, He's going to come back again. And He is, he is going to finish everything else. He is going to uh, fulfill all those prophecies that have not been fulfilled yet. He is going to establish peace on this earth. And He is going to rule and He's going to reign in righteousness. And then finally, He's going to defeat all those enemies. And when He does, the world the only thing that's going to be left in the world are going to be not just saved people, but righteous people who are now just like Christ. Now, every one of those people that are on earth who are like Christ, they are like Christ because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross, because of His work on Calvary. Everyone in the new heaven and the new earth all right, from the first man, Adam, to whoever the last person is that will ever get saved, they will all be there because of the blood of Christ. They will all be, 100% of them will all be people who are in Christ. There is only one people of God. And there will be only one people of God then. And that's why Jesus Christ gets full glory and full credit for everything. So right there, here in, in verse 5, this is where basically it ends for the most part. We, it kind of goes, you know, so it jumps back and forth a little bit. But we see uh, this is where, you know, kind of the end of the new heaven and new earth. We're going to go back to present time. Verse 5, it mentions how uh, there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever. And ever. No more darkness anymore. Okay? And so look at verse 6. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Alright? So right here, we are back in present time. And when he's telling me, he's like, write, write these things down. They are faithful and true. Referring to everything that we've just covered. All the way up here to chapter 22. He's like, write them. They're faithful and true. This is this is present time. It's important that you get this. It's important that we understand where we're at while we're reading in order to avoid some confusion that often comes up in these passages. And so, verse 6 says, And he said unto me, these, uh, I already read that verse. So, uh, what he's saying here that these things are faithful and true. Okay? And he's telling them to write these things down. What has been written is going to come to pass. Okay? The book of Revelation, it's not a book that, you know, if you don't do these things, this is going to happen. Or if you do these things, this will happen. No, what we see in the book of Revelation is going to happen. In the Old Testament, sometimes you see prophecies that are, you know, they're basically options. If you don't do this, you know, if you don't repent, God's going to do this. It would prophesy something that could happen. Okay? But the prophecies of Revelation, these things are going to happen. Okay? There's no, there's no getting around these things. There's no way out. They are, they are going to get done. And no matter what. And then in verse 7, he says, Behold, I come quickly. 
Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the of the prophecy of this book. Alright, he's coming quickly. He's coming without delay. There's nothing to and this is I, I personally think when he's talking about this too, coming quickly without delay, I don't think there is necessarily anything holding back uh, Jesus Christ. I personally think it's a set time and it's always been a set time. It's just nobody's known what that time is except God. I don't think God's up in heaven saying, if they'll do this, then I'll start the process. You know, I don't think, I don't believe like the post, uh, the, uh, the post millennialist, millennialist, you know, think we've got to bring in the kingdom. If we can achieve a certain thing, then God's going to come. No, I personally think there's a set time. And I don't know when it is. I've, I've thought about trying to set a date, alright, just so I can listen to the pre-tribbers. I'll quote, no man knoweth the day or the hour. And then I can make them admit that's about the rapture. <laughs> but, but the thing is, I don't want to do that because, you know, I don't know the day or the hour. Because that is talking about the rapture. But for pre-tribbers, I'd like to have a date picked out just so they can hit, that, hit me with that verse. And then, I can, and then I'll say, you know what? You're right. I repent. That is about the rapture. And then just ruin, you know, just rock their world, you know. But uh, I, 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 I thought about that. But I, I probably won't do that. Because I, I could, if I put out a video right now on YouTube saying I picked a date, I would, I have a, a hundred pre-trivers. Who may know the day or the hour? Same losers that would say, Matthew 24 is not about the rapture. Matthew 24 is about the Jews. Alright, well then where's your verse that says, I can't possibly know the day or the hour. Alright, so, uh, I won't do that. I don't want to embarrass the church, make it look bad, but I've thought about it. I've thought about it just to shove it in their face that they've been interpreting that verse right for years. It's just recently that they've decided that that's not about the rapture anymore. But verse 8 says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Okay, now notice this, right? This is another subject really for another day, but I, I do want to point this out. Notice this angel, okay? Remember, an angel is not always necessarily this heavenly being. An angel is a messenger. Okay? And notice this particular angel that he mentions, this was another man. He said, I am, I'm a fellow servant. I am one of your brethren. And so he's telling them, don't worship me. Worship God. And, you know, I don't believe I ought to be worshiping angels either, but, you know, especially just a, a fellow servant. And so this, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, Angels are, it's just a reference to being a messenger. You know, that's what I personally think when it comes to that verse in the Bible, the woman ought to have power on her head because of the angels. That could have just been a reference to the messengers in the church. doesn't necessarily mean because of angelic beings or heavenly beings or anything like that. I don't know for sure. You know, that's just where you just, you just don't take one verse like that and then come up with weird doctrines. Right? You just, that's just... Once again, bad, bad interpretation when you do that. So, here's the question, alright? Who is this fellow servant? Alright? Who's the fellow servant that's mentioned here? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but if you were gonna guess, who would you guess? 
Anybody want to take a guess at who it probably is? Alright, let's look at the next verse and see if it maybe gives you an idea. This is just, this is just my opinion, alright? We're going into opinion territory. Verse 10, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Alright, now who told him, told him that? Right, this angel, alright, this messenger, his fellow servant, one of his brethren, he tells him, Seal not the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Daniel, yeah, that, that's just, that's who I think it is. Because in Dan, first, think about it, Daniel. I mean, he did some major end time prophesying, didn't he? And it's just interesting in Daniel twelve four it says, "But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. May shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased." All right. So Daniel, when he was given all these prophecies, these were something that were sealed up that Daniel wrote. But then when Revelation is written. These things were not sealed. And it, uh, it just kind of makes sense that the one that God would send to John with this message, it would really be the one that God had actually revealed much of this stuff to, but in a definitely a darker, more cryptic way. Okay, And listen, there's a lot of good prophecy in Daniel. But you should always interpret Daniel in light of Revelation. You should never interpret Revelation in light of Daniel. And that is exactly what the pre-tribbers do. The pre-tribbers, they use, you know, they they like what they see better in Daniel. It's easier to make it all about the Jews, all about the Jews. You know, and then they interpret Revelation through Daniel. No, we ought to interpret Daniel based on what has been revealed in Revelation. We should go off the unsealed book first. Alright, that ought to take priority. That would help us avoid a lot of stupidity and bad interpretation. But notice here in verse 10 how it mentions too, it says, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Okay? Now, I like this too because pre-tribbers, they have been just, once again, they're, they're getting this stuff, they're just getting slapped in the face when it comes to a lot of their bad interpretation. They have been saying that the rapture is at hand for a long time. I mean, there are songs that talk about how His coming is at hand. Okay, One of my, one of my favorite songs, it's a song about the rapture, is the song, Oh Be Glad. All right? It's not a real popular song, but I love the song. Our choir used to sing it at Lighthouse. It's a great song, but we've never sang it here because one of the lines in it is, For His coming is at hand. Now, I love the rest of the song, but I haven't been able to figure out how to change that word yet. Right? And we do that all the time. If I ever figure out a way to change that word into something that's biblical and that rhymes, you know, we'll probably sing that song. But we can't get up and say the rapture is at hand when 2 Thessalonians 2 says, let no man deceive you that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, the pre- we've been slapping the pre-tribbers in the face with that verse and they don't know what to do. So what they do is they've got to find some place that says it's at hand. And the two verses that they use are this one, and the other one they use is the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Meaning the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. But that's not even talking about the rapture there. That's just basically saying the night is far spent, the day is at hand. In other words, daytime. Therefore, walk as children of the light. Alright, that's what that's saying. We're not walking in darkness anymore. We're walking in the light. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. It's talking about daytime. Alright? 
spiritually speaking, it's not talking about the rapture, but they got to find some place where it says at hand. So they'll also do this verse here too, where it says, for the time is at hand. But this is a huge contradiction, alright? Next time a pre-tribber, when you say, show me a verse in the Bible that says the rapture is at hand. This is one of the verses that they might use. But the same hypocritical, just double-talking clowns that say this verse is proven that the rapture is at hand will tell you the rapture is not in Revelation. So it's like, well, wait a minute. You're telling me the rapture isn't in Revelation because it's more for the Jews. But then when it says the time is at hand, now all of a sudden that's just talking about the rapture. All right? What is it actually talking about when it says the time is at hand? Well, it's the time that's at hand. That's just a reference. It's not really a reference to one specific event, but it's all the events that we see. Okay, The time when all these things start being fulfilled is at hand. Those things could start at any moment, you could say. At any moment, all right, things could start rolling on this. You know, that Antichrist could confirm the covenant with many for one week. Alright? You know, there's all all the things that lead up to this. Okay, the tribulation, it could start at any time. Okay? But let no man deceive you by any means. When it comes to the rapture, that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Okay? And all those all those events, alright, the tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the rapture, the wrath of God. All of those events are going to happen in a relatively short period of time, but they are going to happen in the order that the Bible says that they happen in. And the first thing that happens, you know, the first event that we read about in Revelation is not the rapture. Revelation 4 is not the rapture. Okay? And so it is a huge, huge mistake when they, when they say that it's a huge contradiction. When they use that verse to prove the time is at hand. No, it's the time of all these events is at hand. But they're going to happen in the order the Bible says they happen in. And the rapture is not the first event that is on there. So for them to use that verse to prove the rapture is at hand is them being uh, two-faced and hypocritical in their, uh, in their interpretation of the Bible. So verse 11, notice this says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Alright? This book is not a book, it's not a warning for those who are living in those days, but it's a warning to us now. That's what that means when he says, let him that is unjust, let him be unjust still. God did not write the book of Revelation so, when all these things begin to happen, then we'll have time to get our act together. No, listen, if you, if you do that, you know, you're going to, you're going to miss the boat on a lot of things. That is very possible. It's very clear in the Bible that there are going to be some when Jesus returns that are going to be sleeping. Now, people use that to pre, you know, to teach imminency. That's just foolish. That's a huge stretch. That's easy to debunk without time to go into all that. But people will often say, pre-trippers especially will often say, well, you know, if I believe like you guys did, you know, I just do whatever I want, and then once I th see things start, you know, then I would get right with God and get my act together. No, that's not why this, the book of Revelation is not written in a way to warn people who are not right with God during that time. Let him that is unjust, let him be unjust still. Let him that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Okay? You know what? This, this book is written for us now 
so we can get our act together now. The way you want to be when Jesus Christ returns is the way you need to be right now. Okay? The fact that the Bible has warned us these things are going to come, the fact that the time is at hand of these events, the fact that these things will surely come to pass, nothing can change that, that is a message to us right now to get our act together. Because him that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Okay? And so the way you want to be when Jesus Christ returns is the way you ought to be right now. Do not wait. Don't think. I'll, I'll see these things. No, you're going to end up getting deceived if you do that. You're going to end up messing up big time if you do that. So, uh, verse 12 says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now is our time to be trying to earn rewards. You're not going to have time to earn any rewards during the tribulation. Okay? You're not going to have time to get your act together. You're not going to have time to get spiritual, learn what you're supposed to do. Right now is when we should be trying to earn rewards. He's coming quickly. He's coming without delay. And he's going to bring His rewards with Him. And we need to be trying to earn those things now. Verse 13 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, they may enter through the gates into the city. Alright, so remember, we are still in present time. We're not, this isn't in the future, this isn't the new heaven and new earth. This is present time for John. And when he says, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and that they may enter through the gates of the city. This is not something that we have to do in this future dispensation in order to get the tree of life. This is not teaching of faith plus works in the new heaven, new earth dispensation. That doesn't even make sense when there's not going to be any sorrow, crying, when there's no pain, when there's no sin, when there's no death. Okay, there's, there's no way this could possibly mean that. But I've heard people say, looks to me like during the time of the future, you're going to have to keep His commandments in order to go to heaven, in order to eat of the tree of life. And, I mean, I've heard Baptist preachers preach that. And I just want to slap these people upside the head. It's like, have you ever read the whole chapter? Have you ever paid attention while you were reading it? It's easy for us to just read something and be daydreaming. But they just want to cherry pick verses without looking at any context and without comparing Scripture with Scripture. Okay, because let's look at it. I'm just quickly look at a few verses, alright? Because what does that mean? Alright, that do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. Because I'm saying that's present time. What commandments do I have to do in order to be saved? Well, why don't we reference some writings of the individual who wrote this book? Okay? And he says in 1 John 3.23, and this is the commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave His commandment. Alright, you know what the commandment is? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what John said in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 28? They said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. Okay, So we've got two different books that John wrote where he made it very clear that the work that we do is believing on Him. And you say, well, that's not a work. Alright, well, listen. Sometimes different authors they describe the same thing in a different way. Okay, For example, the Apostle Paul, 
I mean, he really emphasized the no works, no works. I mean, he, he emphasized it big time. Not of works, not of works, not of works. Okay? Now, John, whenever he would write about salvation, he would use the term works sometimes. Okay? Now, who was right? Well, they both were right because John, when he was talking about doing works, the works that he was talking about was believing on Christ. And also, technically, that's right. Technically speaking, all right. Technically speaking, when we get saved, we actually do a whole bunch of works. In fact, you could say we do all the works. Every one of them. We actually do all the commandments. You say, how do we do that? Well, we do them through our high priest, Jesus Christ, who does all the work for us. Okay? So the work that a high priest does, it's counted for the people. So, so really, said on on one hand, okay, when I'm preaching, I'm gonna say, you know, I didn't do one work to keep myself to get my salvation, and I've not done one work to keep my salvation. And I'm right if I say that. On the other hand, I could say, you know, I've done every work that the Bible says you have to do. In order to be saved, I, I've done them all. Okay, how did I, how did you do those? I did it by believing on Christ because He is my High Priest and He did them all for me. Therefore, I have received imputed righteousness. I get credited for those things. So you do see different terminology sometimes used from different writers. But let me ask you: Are, are those different messages at all? No, it's the exact same message. And John talks about works, but at the same time, he tells us what those works are, and it's believe on Christ. Okay? Now, where's our effort in that? Where's our keeping of the law in that? I'll tell you where it's nowhere. Okay? But both are right when they say that they just have a different way of explaining. Does that make sense? Alright? So Paul and John, they don't conflict at all. They're telling they're telling us the same thing. So Revelation 22 verse 15 says, For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. And I've heard people use it. See, for without. Alright, so there's obviously even in the new heaven and new earth, there's going to be those who are without. This isn't in the new heaven and the new earth. This is right now. Okay? This is right now. Blessed are they that do His commandments. That's us that they may have right to the tree of life. We will lead to the tree of life one of these days. We will enter through the gates of the city one of those days. Why? Because we've kept His commandments. What do we do? We believed on the name of the Son of God. We believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know who's not going to go there? You know who's outside of that? You know who doesn't have the hope of that? Or who isn't on their way to that? Are the dogs, the sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, the altars. You know, well, what if you've done some of these things before? What if you've told a lie before? Once again, imputed righteousness. Okay? I have been washed from these things. I have been, once I said before, I've not done one work to keep my salvation, but Jesus Christ is constantly doing it for me. Why? Because He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Because He is my high priest, there He is continually whatever needs to be done to keep me saved, He's keep me saved. When I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
I am not any of those things because of Jesus Christ. So, once again, this is just people trying to use these verses desperate to prove a work salvation. But you know what they can't do? Well, they'll take these two verses and they'll misapply them and they'll define them in the way the Bible doesn't. They will never take you to another Scripture in the book of Revelation or any of John's writings or even anywhere else in the Bible and prove to you that you know keeping uh, the commandments is you know doing everything that we see in the law. They, they don't do that. You know they they won't you know they they're not going to show you any evidence of anything anywhere in the Bible that says even in the new heaven and new earth there's still going to be some saved and lost people. They don't do that. This is just people desperate to teach some kind of work salvation. The people that are without these are people now. This is not a reference to the future. Verse 16 says, "I Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star." The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Okay, I heard Keith Gomez one time saying, you know, Looks like in the future you're going to have to take the water of life to be saved. I remember, like, really? He was trying to teach dispensations, and he had no idea what he was doing. I mean, any dispensationalist would have been ashamed at this series of messages he did. And he brought that up like this is probably you know, like something they're going to have to do in the future in another dispensation. No, we actually have to do this now. We have to do this now in order to be saved. All right, This started a long time ago. Okay? We take the water of life now by believing on Jesus Christ. Okay? This is, and this is just further proof that the commandment John is referring to here is believing on Christ. He said, Blessed are they that do His commandments. That they might have right to the tree of life. What are those commandments? I showed you verses in the Gospel of John where he said it's believing on Christ. I showed you in 1 John where he said it was believing on Christ. Here in Revelation, he's saying you have to take the water of life. How do we do that? Why don't we look at another verse where John talks about the water of life? In John 4.13, it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up in everlasting life. Okay, now isn't it interesting that so many dispensationalists they'll read this verse and they'll say, "You got to drink water." Isn't it interesting that they do that? You know why? It's the same way the Pharisees. Remember when Jesus said, "You got to eat my body." Hey, we just want some bread. You know why? You know why those Pharisees couldn't get it? They could only see the physical because they weren't saved. And folks, when you've got a preacher that's going to get up and try to teach you that this right here is actually drinking physical water, it's because they can't see the spiritual message. Okay, This is clearly in the present. This is not in the future. Right now, if you want to be saved, if you want to, to be saved. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. How do we do? I don't see any fountain. I don't see. It. You believe on Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it honestly, you know, when I when when Keith Gomez preached that, I don't think he maybe I'm just too nice. Maybe I I like the guy too much. But it's just like he can't really think that. All right. I'm pretty sure if I stopped and I, I went through him slowly with this, 
he would agree with me on this. He can't be that dumb to think that there's a way of salvation coming in the future where you've got to drink water. I know he agrees with me. He's got to agree with me that the way we drink, take the water of life is believing on Jesus Christ. I hope he believes that. All right. You know, sometimes preachers just get preaching and they say stupid stuff. Try not to hold it against them. But I can't, I, I can't think anybody's that dumb. But I will say anyone who after being shown the truth, after being corrected with the Scriptures, and would still say, nope, I still think it's drinking physical water, they're just not saved. Because they can't see the spiritual. They, they can't see the spiritual. They're just like the Pharisees that couldn't get the whole bread of life thing. And so, verse 18, For I testify on every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from things which are written in this book. Now folks, that verse is really clear right there. You don't mess with the Word of God. You do not add to it. You do not take away from it. And you know what's funny? Every King James Bible preacher all applies that to present time. All of them do. I've never heard anybody get up and read this verse and say, in the new heaven and the new earth, if you mess with the Word of God, you know, you're going to get taken up... Nobody does that. Everybody applies that to this time, and rightfully so. But yet, when it comes to these verses before that, it's in the future. Just, just ignorance. Just ignorance. You know why? Why did they come to these conclusions? They heard one guy preaching on the preservation of the scriptures and preaching against other versions, and they heard him use this verse like, "Ooh, that's good. That's good." And that happened to be right. But they listened to another clown preaching a work salvation. And they listen to him preach just those other two verses, and they're like, "Oh, that sounds good too. That sounds good too." You know, it's just they've never actually studied these things for themselves. They've never actually gone through the scriptures themselves. They 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 don't do that. They just go off of other people's work. But but those who change the Bible are clearly reprobate. The Bible is very clear on that. Verse twenty: He which testify these things saith, "Surely I come quickly." Said it again. Amen. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. And that ought to be our prayer. We ought to be excited about this. We ought to be looking forward to it. When the events all start to happen, that's not time to get scared. That's time to get excited. You know why? I'll tell you, and you know why many people, they look at these passages and they think, oh, I don't understand. The Bible tells us we're supposed to be looking forward to the coming of Christ. But if we've got to go through all this tough stuff beforehand, how, you know, how can we look forward to it? You know the only people in the world who think that are modern day American Christians because we've got it so easy. Folks, most of the world is horrible and suffering and most Christians have been suffering persecution throughout history. But because in America, we've not been being physically persecuted, you know, we've got this just spoiled mentality. We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. And so preachers today... They get freaked out by that. But you know what? Almost every Christian culture since the time of Christ has been suffering persecution. And so you know what? They're all, they were always looking forward to it. But now, we dread it. Because we don't want, to get, we don't want anything you know, taking us out of our little paradise that we're in. We're spoiled, rotten in this country. And it's only modern day American Christians that have this attitude about tribulation. 
Every other culture and every other generation, they've always been suffering tribulation. And so, they would have that prayer, but Christians today, they wouldn't because they're just spoiled rotten. But it says in verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So the book of Revelation, while full of many scary things, it does end on a very high note, doesn't it? And because, and, and we, while we know things are going to be difficult, it is foolish for us to fear these things because the outcome's already settled. Okay? And that's the, the outcome is settled. These things that are written, they are true and faithful. Nothing's going to change them no matter what. We win. If we get killed, we win. If we suffer, we win. The end result is we win no matter what. And there, and so we have, we have nothing to fear. Well, I, don't, I don't want to die. Listen, we have eternity after this. Are you really that worried about hanging on to a few more months on this earth? When all this stuff starts playing out, there's not much time left on this earth. I mean, really, why are you so worried about it? Well, you know, I've heard getting killed hurts. Well, you know what? I'm sure it does. But you know what? The rewards are going to be worth it. Okay? You know, we all do stuff we hate. You know, I went... I worked all day in a factory, worked hard, I'm sore, I'm tired. But you know what, I do it because the payoff's worth it. Alright? It, 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 you know, I guess. You know, <laughs> uh, otherwise I wouldn't keep doing it. That's why, that's why we do a lot of the work we do. Alright? Some of you might love your job and you do it even if you didn't get paid. Alright? Uh, I, some, some jobs I do, you know, I pastor because I love it. But some jobs I do it for the paycheck. Alright? I promise you, I stack boxes for the paycheck. And, and the payoff's worth it. Say so, well, and even though it's not fun, even though it's miserable sometimes, and you know what, getting killed while well, it might hurt pretty bad, it's temporary, and the payoff will be worth it, and you're going to enjoy the payoff for all eternity. Don't be so obsessed and focused on the now, okay? And you know what, you know if you, you know the thoughts of seeing your loved ones suffer, yeah, you know that that's terrible. You know, teach your family. That you know, if they ever see you dying for the cause of Christ, to rejoice and to be proud. I hope my family doesn't cry. If they see me get my head cut off. I hope they're proud of me when they see that. I hope I do. I hope it gets excited. Well, you'll be with that only for a short time. All right, we're gonna have all eternity after that. So we shouldn't we shouldn't fear these things. So I'm I don't know about you. I'm excited. I say even so come. I'm ready for the events to start. I pay attention to the news just because I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the ball to get rolling on this thing. I'm ready for it. I say bring it on. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the comfort it gives us. Knowing, Lord, that no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, we know the final outcome. And the final outcome is victory. All thanks to You. And we just uh, praise You uh, for all You've done and what You're going to do. In Your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, at this time, we are going to.